This is Scott. This is Rebecca. And we're the CEOs of Hardy, Party of Five. And a half. It's not really a company, it just sounds cool. And if you're looking for a normal family, well, you've certainly come to the wrong place. So keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and let's see where this roller coaster takes us. Hello, Rebecca Hardy. Hello, Scott Hardy. How's it going? It's going good. We're on video. I had to fix my hair today. I know, weird, right? (laughs) It's so weird. I feel like I should be interacting with the camera. And I may or may not have pants on. I'll never tell. Okay. (laughs) So here we are. Here we are. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I've been feeling kind of retro lately. Okay. So I've been watching a lot of old movies. You have been. I Yeah, I've been on a roll. I don't really watch black and white movies, but you've been saying I need to watch, what's the one, Charade? Charade is actually in color, so you can oh, actually... Oh, I can yeah, watch that. Yeah. But I've been watching like old Humphrey Bogart movies, old Cary Grant movies. I don't know these people. Jimmy Stewart movies, John Wayne, like 30s, 40s, 50s, a little okay. bit of 60s. Yeah. And I've just been loving it. Okay. And it made me think about other things that are retro. All right. Like in our culture and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what are some other things? You have your finger, your thumb on the heartbeat of pop culture. I do. So what are some other things that you see that are retro um, these days? Definitely haircuts are making all the way back circle again around to the shag is making a big come out. It doesn't look the same as like... The shag of the 90s with, um, what's her name? Jennifer well, Aniston. I was going to say, as, as a non-hair person, I need an example of what a shag would a be. A super layered, super layered. Who's a famous person? you got well, Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston had it in the 80s. Okay. I don't really know of anybody wearing it on TV. I don't really know current TV people, honestly, um, that <laughs> have it now. Because we watch so many things are recorded. But just super layery, all like kind of thin at the bottom, but wispy. Sh- yeah, kind of wispy. Yeah, yeah, that's making a huge comeback. The biggest thing that's making a comeback right now, bell bottoms. Really? They are coming back. Oh on. my goodness! I know. We're gonna have to race out and get you some. I can't believe that's a thing. <laughs> what about members only jackets? No. I don't think so. I may still have one of those. You had a members only jacket. I remember you had a stone wash jacket. I know, wasn't that hot? <laughs> Those have not come back yet. <laughs> I may still have that. I had stone wash jeans too. What about yeah. those? Those kind of always been around, haven't really? they? Really? Okay. Did they go away? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, they're coming back and then the high waisted kind of ones with pleats in the front, like that kind of stuff. That's definitely making a huge comeback. Hairstyles and clothes. They say if you wore it once, you're too old to wear it again. That's the rule of thumb in fashion. What if you've always worn it? Like, you're not wearing it again. <laughs> you've just always worn it. Then you just look like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just classic. Right? That, I guess that's a, cl- okay. that's a nice way of calling someone a fool. Okay, you're a fashion hairstylist person. What is what is What would be considered a classic look? Like, for a man and a woman. Okay. What's a, a classic look? A bob. Like a bob, a bob haircut. Almost like a take on a Jackie O. People would say she's classic. Like, I, just that tucked under, just okay. classic, like, one length, or maybe with a little bit of bang, like, classic tucked under bob. So, what what would the guy side be guy, for I mean, I don't Are really all know. guys' haircuts I classics? Mean, no, no. No. No, you know what your son's wearing right now, right? Well, yeah, Jake is sporting the mullet right now. With a lightning bolt on the side, so yes, I don't for know. his school. Would you soon. call that classic? I would call that... 
See, you trailer park. You want to reach. <laughs> you want to retract your statement about all haircut, all men's haircuts are classic. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you know, just your basic, I guess, co over the years and just around it, like just. So but, that's. I mean, that can be kind of boring, but basic. Yeah. Yeah. Would you consider my hair boring? No, your hair is never boring. No. Mm-mm. Is my hair classic? Your hair's curly. Okay. I don't really know. It. I don't really know. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about well, this. I have concerns about the mullet. We were talking about Jake's mullet. Yeah. Why is the mullet coming back? Especially in that like twenty early twenties age group. Yeah. I what is know. happening? It's, it's What's wrong with come, our youth? It's making a comeback. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to It's doing. really kinda epidemic, isn't it? Epidemic. Like it's it's a big thing that's happening. Like it's I a big giant I don't know how big it is. I know it I know I can only speak for like Texas, Oklahoma. Like yeah. I don't know if it's if that's a big thing people are doing in New York. So it's just a Texas, Oklahoma thing. I think it's kind of a a southern ish yeah. yeehaw kind of thing. I don't <laughs> think it. I don't think people in Washington State are grad grown. Well, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't really know. Okay. A know. southern yeehaw thing. Yeah. That's gonna be one of our hashtags probably for this show. Um, so okay, we don't know why the mullet's coming back. No. Why does anything come back? I don't know. Weird, right? Yeah, everything comes back around. Yeah, it kind of does. There's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Um, So, in thinking about all the retro stuff, I started thinking about old radio shows. Mm -hmm. Like old theater dramas. Yeah. And it was the thing that you think about, we kind of huddle around our phones now. Right. And our computers. But back then, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, people the center point of the living room was the radio mm-hmm. that's and so weird i know it's real weird yeah. right like right now in our living room the center point is our TV. mounted tv right but they would huddle around the families would huddle around mm-hmm. and listen to whatever's on the radio yeah and they would have there'd be all kinds of things the theater things were horror i mean anything you can think of any yeah. genre yeah and like musical shows news they would obviously that's how FDR got so famous with his fireside chants using the radio hmm. in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. That's kind of how he connected with the public. And um, it just got me to thinking about these old radio shows. Mm-hmm. And how, if you think about it, they were kind of like the their retro podcasts. Yeah. Because it was just kind of the entertainment that people had. They couldn't really carry it around yet. Like with Walkman. Remember yeah. Walkman? Yes. Mm-hmm. You could start carrying your music and stuff around with you. Yeah. Which obviously this was... How did people know that they were going to come on at, at a certain time? Like how... Was that in... Did they have newspapers? Is a dumb question. Uh, did... Is that a dumb question? Well, no. They had newspapers that gave them the... Remember, I even in the 70s and 80s, I used, to look, I used to look... Before we had cable, I would look in the back of the newspaper and it would give me the listing of right. what was on that night. But that was in the 70s and this is 80s, in the 30s to yeah. 50s. Yeah. So, I'm like, sure they had ads and everything, but also you just turned on your radio and the station would let you know what's coming. And huh. you would Also, I guess at the end they would say, tune in next week on Tuesday night at 6 right. p.m. I mean, it was unlike now when you don't know, with everything streaming, you don't know when anything really happens. Yeah. Because, you, like you said, everything's recorded or you can go access it. It's not really... That's kind of one thing I miss about watching TV is when you have... Like, at least when there's a pro sports game or something, you have to be there at that time. Mm-hmm. You can still record it. But it's fun 
to have to wait and be there at that time. Yeah. And, and you, I don't want to re- that. you don't want to record it because you'll find out on social media. Like, yeah, you already know yeah, who's winning already or losing. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But I miss that like anticipation. And if you don't see it at that moment, you're never going to see it. Yeah. So that's why I, that's how I imagine radio being for people. Uh-huh, like uh-huh. you had to be there. Yeah. So. Um, and so how did they do like, I mean, how did you know like what different genres? Are gonna, like, okay, so this is kind of like into audiobooks, even though audiobooks have like one narrator and this had like a cast of people and they even like piped in the sound or somebody was playing the organ or somebody oh, yeah. was like doing they a little sound, <laughs> sound effects guys yeah, yeah. On, the, on the table you know, so. I can't do that can you do it what did you, what'd you do like I'm trying to make a horse sound oh, you're so good that's really good man oh thanks um, I may sure, start a new career Mr. Who need if you need a horse sound out there <laughs> I'll bring my table let's do this <laughs> For hire. That's right. Little <laughs> another side gig there. Hashtag side hire. hustle. I bet you have other noises you could probably do. I'll work on it. Yeah. Okay. If it's if it's a thing. If it's a thing. I'm in. Yeah. So you know you had like a whole cast of people doing these. So how did you know like on this channel on the radio was going to be a murder mystery and you probably didn't want to tune in with your children and on this one was going to be like a comedy and on this one was going to be like a romance novel like do you? I wouldn't. I didn't really research that part of it, but I would imagine between the newspaper and just knowing, I think you just kind of realized what was going to yeah. be on the radio. They would advertise what was going to be on, and you knew at this time, Lone Ranger was being going right. to be on, and this time, Dragnet was going to be on, and this time, Mercury Theater was going to be on. Okay, you were telling me some of the names of these old ones that have been around, like mm-hmm. that started. The Guiding Light, that's a soap opera. Yeah. It started, it started in music on radio. theater. Right. Music theater, is that what it's called? <clears throat> radio, radio theater. theater. Yeah. And what are some other ones? Like Lone Ranger was a radio show. Perry Mason was a radio show. I love Perry Mason. <laughs> I didn't know he was a radio show. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Superman was a radio show. Batman. I mean, anything you can think of you that started out so as a radio show. crazy. I did not know that. And you can really you can really see the golden age was from the thirties to the fifties. Uh-huh. So what do you think happened in the fifties that started taking radio out? TV. The TV. <laughs> TV had been around since like the late thirties, but people really couldn't afford them. But they became affordable like okay. in the mid fifties. So that's when you kind of see the radio shows dying out, mm-hmm. or a lot of them moving to TV. Okay. Like, um, we'll talk about a couple that like turned into movies yeah. and then another show turned into a TV show. Okay. Because that's what, the, the TV replaced that's the radio so in the home. I didn't realize home. there was like an evolution of TV shows that came from radio shows. Well, yeah, and you think about it, it's because nowadays we have a lot of built-in stuff like all superhero movies mm-hmm. or books made into a movie. It's really like that then. They yeah. knew all these people loved the radio shows, so why not just bring them to TV? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing. They knew they had an audience, yeah. so just bring it on over. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so tell me about some of them. What do we have? Okay, one of the most famous, which actually was just one episode on Mercury, is on the Mercury Theater, which was a show that Orson Welles had. Uh-huh. And you've probably heard of Orson Welles. He was Citizen Kane and just kind of a entertainment legend um he had a show called the mercury theater okay and each week it was just different shows like they would it would be a dramatization of a book it would be a dramatization of a play and he would do it like that Uh 
So on this, what he decided to do was called War of the Worlds. Okay, that was a movie later. With it was Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Is that what it's based on? Well, it's based on a book. Like, Jules Verne made the book, like, in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, this was one of the first, like, theater performances of it. But what was cool, what Orson wanted to do instead of... Because I don't, when I was researching this, it... It kind of looked like Orson had never read the book because okay. he was talking to his other producers and they were trying to figure out what they're constantly looking for more material to adapt because mm-hmm. they were they had to have a show every week. Yeah. So he's like they were looking at this book War of the Worlds and they read it and it was kind of cheesy because it had old sci-fi. They kind of thought it was boring. So they were trying to figure out ideas of how can we kind of make this a little more exciting. Mm-hmm. So Orson's idea was to make it into like it was a real news, like something was really happening. Mm-hmm. And it was news reporters reporting on these aliens that were attacking, that were invading Earth. So that kind of changed the whole idea of the story mm-hmm. and kind of made it more current. And it also ended up, they, there's debates of how much it really affected people. Like, there were some people that were listening to it that really thought something was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, they oh. were really. Interesting. And there's kind of debates of how widespread that was. Because really, Mercury Theater up to that time wasn't a really popular radio show. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of out there, and it didn't have the biggest audience. But there were some people that were... That could be terrifying. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, and one of the things they did that made people think it was real is they didn't... Like, on most radio shows, it was very, like... It was very OCD. It's like at this... At this... Like, 12 minutes in, we have a commercial. 12 mm-hmm. minutes in, we have a sponsor. You know, 12 minutes in, we have a musical break. So it was very... You knew exactly what was going to happen. Okay. So the way they did this is they decided it was going to be... They totally changed the formula of what the show was going to be. So when people would think there would be a break and there wasn't a break, they're like, oh, this must be real. Oh, wow. And they were switching from one reporter to the other. And you could just... From the way they were doing the effects and everything, it mm-hmm. just seemed like it was real. Yeah. So there were people that freaked out because they weren't used to hearing it this way. Mm-hmm. It was a whole new way of listening. That's um, so interesting. So a quote from Orson at the time, he said, I had conceived the idea of doing a radio broadcast in such a manner that a crisis would actually seem to be happening <laughs> and would be broadcast in such a way... Um, as to appear to be a real event taking place at that time, rather than just doing another radio play. He's a little maniacal. <laughs> <laughs> or a genius. I don't know. Um, and like I said, they didn't really know what book, and they found this book. It was H.G. Wells. It's H.G. Wells. I said uh, Jules Verne, but it's H.G. Wells' book, uh, The War of the Worlds from 1898, mm-hmm. is what they decided on. And what it's kind of funny is, you think of these brilliant shows like... They really knew what they were doing, and they took all this time to do it. Well, they put it together in about a week. (laughs) And they basically, Orson was... Sounds like our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Orson was rehearsing another show, and he rehearsed... He was like, you talk about maniacal, he was kind of like that. Like, he would get really... He was like the genius kind of jerk. Like, he was really into it. So he was rehearsing this one show, and they were rehearsing for 36 hours straight. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't let his 
He didn't let his actors rest. For 36 wow. hours, they were rehearsing. So the guy that was writing the show, um, his name was Koch, was his last name. He was trying to get a hold of uh, Orson and say, okay, I'm having trouble getting the script together. Can you help me? But he, Orson was totally, you couldn't get to him because he was rehearsing the other show. So they just kept going at it. And basically, they rehearsed it the night before without Orson. He was still on this other show. Mm-hmm. Orson shows up the afternoon of the taping of the broadcast. Because what they would do, they would have the band there. they have all the actors there. And most of the time, they'd have an audience. They didn't mm-hmm. have an audience for this one. But normally, they would have an audience like it was like a real show. Yeah. So Orson shows up. They go through... They go through one rehearsal and it was just awful. <laughs> like they were like they were worried that this was gonna, just going to be terrible. So about mid afternoon of that day, it's October thirtieth, nineteen thirty eight. Just hours before airtime, Orson Welles arrives in the studios, CBS Studios, for a last minute rehearsal with the cast and crew. And he totally lost it at the beginning. He's like, he thought it was terrible, and they were having to right. rework all of this. Um, they say that he routinely, like, berated people, like his collaborators. he called call them lazy, ignorant, <laughs> incompetent, and just a ton of other insults. Nice. Um, but what they say is all that chaos is what made the creativity. Yeah. So, um, they're saying the chaos made the show better. Better. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle of that, it's hard to believe that, but... Um, it was only in the last minute rehearsals that everybody started taking it seriously and it started to seem like, okay, this could work. So they aired it and it became one of the most famous broadcasts ever because it was so different than anything else that was on. That's so crazy. So I found a couple of minutes of it. Oh, are we going to play a clip? Yep. We're going to, we're going to do it just like you would have done on radio. We're going to put up a still of... The still is actually Orson Welles and the whole uh, acting troupe uh-huh. and the band. And you can kind of see what that looked like in the studio. And we'll listen for a few minutes, just like they would have in 1938. PSA, this is not real life. That's right. This is not a... <laughs> aliens are not attacking. Aliens are not attacking us. Okay. <laughs> here let's, we go. Let's take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, my on? Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilma's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. More state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Oh, Lord, they're turning into flames. The 
Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Okay, okay. seriously, that, that can be terrifying. <laughs> I could see why people were totally freaking out. Well, yeah, with the sound effects and stuff they had there and the way the, the reporters were freaking yeah. out. If that yeah. was happening while I was driving in my car and I heard that on the radio, I'd be literally find, trying to find, like, a tunnel to drive into. <laughs> It'd be so scary. Somewhere to hide. Yes. Me up. Um, I feel like a news reporter. Do I like... You look very official. Do I like Will Ferrell? You do. You do. As I'm over here with my eye, with my glasses on my forehead scratching my <laughs> eyeball, you look official. Rest you, assured. You have a cool ninja star necklace. Thank you. That's the weapon I keep close by. Yeah. You never know when you need it. Never Especially when aliens attack. I mean, come on. Okay, so I found another show that's near and dear to my heart. Okay. Because I grew up reading these books. Like, I was a nerd in, probably in third grade I started reading these. Yeah. And it's Sherlock Holmes. I like Sherlock Holmes. I didn't read them. I just watched I used, the movies. I read all these books. I just watched the movies <clears throat> and only the current movies, so maybe I'm not a big fan. Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the current movies are pretty good, but they're very... Robert Downey Jr. Careful. What? They're, they're very good. good. I enjoy okay. them. But it's not the same because they're really played as more action movies, okay. which I enjoy. And the originals were not? The originals were more like, it was a mystery, like, thriller kind of thing, and okay. not really... Sherlock wasn't near as physical. Physical, yeah. okay. He was, like, a good swordsman and stuff, but he wasn't, like... Yeah. He didn't. He didn't go to Fight Club. Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite part of Sherlock's when, like, the little, like, the little diagrams go above. Oh well, yeah. When about he's talking he's about, about to like has, take someone out, and he's got like a mathematical equation as to how he's gonna like. He's gonna hit him in the kidney yeah. and then the throat, and then slice the jugular. <laughs> yeah. Those are my, so you that's like my favorite the action parts. more? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I I thought I liked them too. So. I think so. Um. So Sherlock Holmes started his radio too. My favorite. Who's your favorite Sherlock Holmes? What? Robert Downey Jr. Okay. I didn't even know there was another one. <laughs> there's been a, there's been a few, but my personal favorite is Basil Rathbone. Okay, this is this is like 007. I didn't know there were more of them, <laughs> and I don't even know what you're talking about. Who what? did you say? Basil Rathbone. That sounds like a spice in my spice cabinet. <laughs> he was a it's like he was, something I put on pizza. He was actually a Shakespearean Shakespearean British actor. Okay, like he's a very serious actor. Never heard of him. So, he became Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And to me, he looks the most like I envisioned Sherlock Holmes with the big, you know, claw nose and mm -hmm. claw. claw. Uh -huh. yeah. and, so, and a pipe. Yep. And the hat that has the two bills, one in the front one in the Yeah, back. what do you call those? Deer hunter hats, I think? No idea. Um, so, the radio show was from 1939 to 1950. Okay. Now, what's a little different about this one is they also were making movies at the same time. So Basil and the other actor that were, Nigel Bruce is his name, uh -huh. played Watson. And to me, this is the quintessential Sherlock and Watson. Okay, you have a clip of it? I do, but I was going to go through oh, a few things. Oh, do you things. want to tell me a couple more things? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's hear it. Oh, I've got more. Okay. I, know, I feel confident <laughs> you do. <laughs> so what was interesting about these is they were, while they were doing the radio shows, they were making movies. So he was kind of doing double duty as far as, 
And what the radio shows would be normally is it would come into Watson's office. And because the way Conan Doyle wrote the books and the stories was Watson was writing all the stories down and tell, and reading people and telling people about them. So it would start out in Watson's office and he would start telling a story and then it would kind of turn into the actors taking over. Okay. Um, so Basil's kind of fascinating to me. He was a war hero from World War One. Okay. So that was... The way back time machine. Yeah, nine, 1914 to 1917. Um, and he was a talented guy. He was actually a swordsman. So he taught like Errol Flynn... And a lot of the early action heroes, how to do their sword fighting, like in Robin Hood and all the pirate movies back then. Yeah. So he was kind of maybe like a stunt coordinator showing them how they That's should. That's so cool. Because he was a champion in the fencing in the, he was, when he was a soldier, he was a champion at fencing. Okay. So he would, he would teach all the actors how to do their swordsmanship. I can see why he's your favorite. Yes. Kind of cool. He was also in the. In the Robin Hood movie with Errol Flynn, maybe 1941? Mm-hmm. Double check me on that. Um, <laughs> he was the bad guy. Like, he was the sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, okay. But he was also taught Robin Hood had a sword fight during that movie. Okay. So, yes, I do have a clip. And this clip is kind of... This is also a very intense clip. Okay. That you wouldn't think would be... You would think this would be a much more modern show. Because this is Moriarty, who is, if you know a little bit about Sherlock, he is like, the nem- he's like Sherlock's nemesis. Yes. And it's him and Sherlock sitting down to talk. Oh. And they're kind of talking about how they would, like, take each other out. <laughs> so it's pretty intense, the conversation they get into. All right, I can't wait to hear it. So let's uh, take a listen to that. All right. Now, Holmes, what should it be? The gas chamber, the cup of hemlock, or just a simple bullet through your brain? You disappoint me, Professor. Indeed? Yes. Somehow I always thought that in the end, you'd prove to be just an ordinary cutthroat. You know me better, Holmes. Gas, poison, bullets. I assure you, Professor, were our positions reversed, I should have something more colorful, more imaginative to offer. I'm satisfied to be the winner. I shall be alive. Alive, yes. The winner, no. For in the last analysis, I shall have proved the more resourceful man. You didn't trap me here. I came here because I wanted to, to prevent your getting Hoffner. And all you can do in return is to commit ordinary murder, to relieve your sense of frustration. And what, my good Mr. Holmes, could you have conceived that would have been so much more colorful? Well, even offhand. I can improve upon your suggestions considerably, but that's only natural, of course. And what is this brilliant idea of yours? Do you know that a man dies if he loses five pints of blood? Yes, of course you do. I should have you placed on an operating table, inject a needle into your veins, and slowly draw off your life's blood. The needle to the last. Eh, Holmes? Slowly, drop by drop, the blood would be drawn from your body. You would be aware of every exquisite second to the very end. You would be watching yourself die scientifically, noting every reaction, and in full possession of your faculties. Interesting. 
Yes, isn't it? I humbly submit, Professor, that to the very end, I've been more resourceful than yourself. Okay, that is major creep factor. <laughs> I told you that was creepy. They're just comparing how they could kill each other. Oh my gosh. My word. Drain five pints of blood off of you. <laughs> and you slowly die and yeah. oh gosh. That was Whew. awful. So that's pretty intense. Yeah. Not like, quite as physical I as Robert. I want to gather around the radio for an evening with my children listening to that. <laughs> so I hope there's some more genres here that are a little more okay. creepy. Yes, we've kind of talked about the sci-fi horror, and then you've got murder. Sherlock. <laughs> murder, murder mystery. Murder mm-hmm. mystery. And now we're going to talk about Jack Benny. I don't know who that is. You've never heard of Jack Benny? I've oh my heard gosh. Of him, but can I be honest? Yeah? I get him confused with Benny Hinn. <laughs> <laughs> well. I need clarification. <laughs> Well, here, let's talk about this a minute. Let's talk about the surname. A surname is the is your last name. I know. So, let's think about Benny Hinn. What is Benny Hinn's surname? Hinn. Hinn. So, and what would Jack Benny's surname be? Benny. But do you see so, how confusing that is? Well, I feel like one is a first name and one is their no, last name. No, but they're the same name. What? Benny and Benny. Jack Benny and Benny Hinn. Yes! <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Um, right? They're spelled the same, right? Well, yeah, but... Okay, once... so the same name! Uh, yeah? They are technically <laughs> the same name. <laughs> but they're used in a different way. Okay. Okay. One's a first name and one's a last name, but right. they're the same name. Right. So this is Jack... I've got a picture of him up right... See the guy on the left up yes, there? Yes, I see him. Okay, that's Jack Benny. So he doesn't really look like Benny Hinn. Um... And this was also in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Okay. So, <laughs> didn't know, didn't know you, it's interesting when you mention a subject, you don't know where people are coming from. I usually you know? bring it somewhere you're not prepared for. <laughs> That's right, and I love it. Um, Jack Benny was a comedian and started in the early 30s. Okay. And he got his own show quickly. He was on the Ed Sullivan show, if you also remember Ed Sullivan. What, this was the radio or this was TV? This was radio in okay. the early 30s. Ed Sullivan had a... Ed Sullivan, who was also famous for having his variety TV show, where, like, the Beatles the Beatles first performed in the U.S. on his show. Yeah. As a TV show. In the early 30s, Ed Sullivan had a radio show. Mm-hmm. And Jack Benny guest starred on that. So he was so good within a year that he got his own show. Okay. Um... And really, what Jack Benny did was he was like a caricature of himself. Like, all of his people on his show were playing a version of himself. Hmm. And what I thought of is the show you listen to now on 106.1. Yeah. Was it Kid Craddock? Do they still call themselves Kid Craddock? They do. Yeah. And to me, that's how their show is. Like, who are the people in that show? you got Big Al. Yes, Kelly Raspberry. Kelly Raspberry. Um, Jenna, yeah. and now there's a new guy. Well, he's not new, but I can't remember his I can't name. Remember his name. Um, but yeah, but to me, they're playing themselves. But part-time I, but, Justin. <laughs> part-time Justin? That's his name, part-time <laughs> okay. Justin. And also, Alan Evans is on that show a little bit. It's somebody yeah. I used to work with, mm-hmm. who's now married to Kelly. Yeah. But I feel like on their show, it reminded me of their show, because I think they kind of play a like hyped up version of themselves uh-huh. like they're being themselves but maybe a little more exaggerated yeah mm-hmm. than they would be yeah so that's kind of how jack benny's show would be mm-hmm. and they kind of did a show within a show like they would be the main characters were playing versions of themselves and they would break the fourth wall like they would start talking to the audience 
like in the middle of something. Like they would do orchestra bits, they would reenact movies, and kind of like we're going to see a little bit later from us, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they would reenact movies and plays and kind of have fun with that within the show. Okay. So one of my favorite people that was on his show, I always try to connect this back to... Just like our This Month in History, we try to connect back to what we know. Yeah. And one of my favorite favorite people ever was Mel Blanc. Do you okay. remember who Mel Blanc was? He did Wait. voices for cartoons. Wait. Bugs Bunny. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I was thinking that, but and, I knew. Just and he's no that. relation to Mel Gibson. Okay, <laughs> Even though they have the first same, the same first name. But Mel Blanc was, he first came on Jack Benny's show, on the radio show. Mm-hmm. And he would do all these different characters. Like he would, he was a Spanish guy. He was just anything you could think of. Is that him on the right? Yeah, he's on okay. the right. When we when we play the audio, you'll see the picture we're looking at, and Mel's on the right. Okay. Um, he would even he was famous for doing cars. Like there was, it was actually an accident on one of their radio shows. The sound effects guy was supposed to be doing a car sound. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever they were using for the car sound broke. Uh-huh. So Mel's just like, I'll start making a car sound, and he would make this jalopy sound, which I can't <laughs> really do. But and it would sound like an you engine. Need to work on your sound. I know I need to work on it. So he that he came he became really famous for that, and he would do it. He ended up doing a Hanna Barbera cartoons and all that. That's so interesting. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And he ended up doing like Bugs Bunny. He did. He was actually the voice of Woody Woodpecker originally. Oh really? Yeah, he first Wait, did Woody, Woody Woodpecker. Talked in his first cartoons. He did. He talked. You know. Uh, 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 uh. Oh. Well, that good was, job. That was really weak. I mean, no. His little laugh. I mean, it needs some tweaking, but that was pretty good. Yeah, we can auto tune that, right? <laughs> um. So what they said in the Radio Daily magazine in 1942 about Mel Blank was. Mm-hmm. He specialized in over 57 voices and dialects and intricate sound effects. And by 1946, he was appearing on over 15 programs in various supporting roles. So that's pretty amazing. He ended up being Barney in the Flintstones. He was George Jetson's boss in the Jetsons. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, and just kind of who I grew up with in my childhood. Yeah, that's so interesting. So yeah. So we have a clip from them. We have a clip from them. This is where um, Jack is doing his monologue for the show, and Mel is being the boom operator, the boom mic, uh-huh. and he kind of drops it on his head, oh, and okay. then they kind of go at it from there. Okay. So let's listen to that real quick. All right. But getting back to exercise, you know, I don't think that people do enough of it. Really, they don't take advantage of the... Um... <laughs> What is this, anyway? Hey. Hey, fella. Fella. Huh? What? What? I was right in the middle of my monologue, and you dropped the mic in my face. I did? Oh, I'm sorry. I must have dozed off. (laughs) Dozed off? Oh, boy, what a night I had last night. Well, look, that's not my problem. Now, sleep on your own time. On my own time? How can I sleep with a kid of mine yelling and screaming at 3 o'clock in the morning? I'd walk that kid up and down, up and down, up and down. And my wife, my wife, she she doesn't hear this. She's sound asleep. Look, I'm not interested in your wife. Well, neither am I. (laughs) But you can't break up a home just because your wife can wear the same shoes that you do. 
I don't care. They're a little tight, but she gets them on. Look, don't tell me your problems. I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a comedian. Well, you could have fooled me. <laughs> Never mind that. Now cut that out and just tend to your business and stay awake. Okay. Uh, you know, I fell asleep here last week, too. <laughs> What are you talking about? You weren't even working here last week. I know. I was in the audience. <laughs> now stop the whole business. Just do what you're supposed to do. Okay, okay. Okay, now that is something I would gather around with my kids to watch. Or listen or to. Or listen to, yeah. yeah. A little uh, more than Sherlock and Moriarty. For sure. And you could totally hear Bugs Bunny in his voice. Yeah, you could right there for sure. And as soon as he was talking, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. That's so cool. So yeah, there are thousands of these shows online. And I found a couple of... You can go to YouTube. Like, I would just search, you know, whatever show you're looking for. An old show. You could mm -hmm. even look up... You'll probably hashtag a lot of them, won't you, in this? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can go to YouTube. You can find them. There's also a site called archive.org. Um, is one of the best free resources for that. It has tens of thousands of shows that you can download. You can download them one by one. You can download the whole series. Mm -hmm. And you can listen to them as MP3s. Uh, on that site, you also get photos, descriptions, and comments for listeners, so it's kind of, you can kind of get an idea of the whole show. That's so cool. And also, there's a uh, website called relicradio.com, mm -hmm. and also another one called rusc.com. So, there's plenty of ways to access those things. Yeah. And it's kind of, to me, it, I get a little bored with all the podcasts I listen to, except for ours. Except for ours. I never get bored with ours. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I just, I want to add to what the things I already have. Mm -hmm. So I've got great podcasts like Hardy Party Five and a Half that I listen mm -hmm. to religiously. And then I I really want to... That's because you do all the editing. <laughs> oh, right. I listen to it a hundred times. A hundred times. Yeah. Which you should too. Yeah, that's um, But also, I want to I wanna look into adding some of these old radio shows. Mm -hmm. I just kind of like the retro feel of it. And when it's a radio show, you can kind of... You just, it's using your imagination. Yeah. More than, like, you do that a lot with audiobooks. I'm more of a reader of pages, but you mm -hmm. like audiobooks. I do like audiobooks, yeah. mainly because I fall asleep yeah. with them reading a book. So, in doing all this, of course, we had to kind of think outside the box. So, we thought, what, what would the Hardy Party of Five and a Half do with this? So, we decided that we would do a table read of an original broadcast and we picked the very first episode of Superman. Superman. Yes. It's important to note, because I don't think everybody knows this. Okay. When you're listening to this table read, Kal-El is Superman. Right. That's common knowledge to you. Yeah. People like you. Yeah. Well, it's his origin. This, this episode is basically his origin right. story. But I'm just telling the listeners, Kal-El equals Superman. Right. It, I literally probably read through that twice before I realized it. So, we had the lovely Rebecca Hardy mm -hmm. and the very manly Brady Looney, mm -hmm. which now we are calling Lone Wolf Looney. Mm -hmm. They, we all read it. We all read. We had a fun time. It was so fun. It really and, was. I want to do more of this. Yeah, and we're going to play it for more. Yeah. Are you ready? Are you nervous? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Here you go. Superman number one, originally broadcast in 1940. 
radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing incredible personality faster than an airplane more powerful than a locomotive impervious to bullets up in the sky look it's a plane it's superman and now superman a being no larger than an ordinary man but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on earth able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile in a single bound Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in its bare hands. As though it were paper. Superman, a strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinaire. Who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. As our story begins, we ask you to come on a far journey. Our journey that takes us millions of miles from the Earth. Where the planet Krypton burns like a green star in the heavens. <laughs> Here, civilization is far advanced. It has brought forth a race of supermen, if you will. Men and women like ourselves, but advanced to the absolute peak of human perfection. No way. <laughs> As we near Krypton, we see high walls and gleaming terrace. We approach the magnificent Temple of Wisdom. And there in the Great Hall, Jor-El, Krypton's foremost man of science, is about to address the meeting of the planet's governing council. Attention, attention, gentlemen. Members of the council, I've completed my solar calculations, and as much as I dread uttering these words, I have come to the conclusion that Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him? Gentlemen, 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 hear him out. These eternal quakes we've been experiencing, these volcanic eruptions, these tidal waves, gas escaping from giant craters, all point to one thing, gentlemen and ladies. Krypton is utterly and finally doomed. You are a madman. There's no way. One moment, gentlemen. One moment. There's no cause for anxiety. I am certain Jarrell that made a mistake. True, we've had a few minor quakes and eruptions, but nothing very serious. There must be some error in your calculations, Jarrell. No, no, there is no error, Roson. I only wish there were. The sun is gradually drawing Krypton closer to it. Within a month, possibly a week. The gravitational pull will be so tremendous that Krypton will not be able to weather the storm. And then, then, my friends, our planet will explode like a giant bubble, destroying everything living on it. Silence, silence. Gentlemen, assuming for the moment, Jarrell, that what you say is true, how are we to avoid it? What can we do to stop it? There's only one way. As you all know, I have been working on a spaceship designed for interplanetary travel. With time, 
and effort, we might transport the entire population of Krypton to another world. Impossible! Where would we go? To the Earth? My studies tell me the atmosphere of the Earth is very nearly the same as our own! You've been working too hard, Jarrell. You need to rest. Believe me, we have the utmost respect for knowledge and integrity, but this is carrying it too far. Planets as large as Krypton do not explode, Jarrell. Yes, exactly. They don't explode. Oh, God. Wait. Do you hear that, gentlemen? It's the forewarning of doom! Every moment is precious now. Quakes like that are sounding the death bell of Krypton. It will happen, gentlemen and ladies. It will happen soon when the last great eruption comes. When it comes, Jarrell, it shall find all of us ready. If Krypton is to die, we shall die with it. Parting would be much too severe. Very well. Laugh if you like, Razan. <laughs> and you members of the council, I have no time to laugh. My wife, Lara, and my infant son are too dear to me. It is not my wish to stand by and see them destroyed. Laugh, all of you, laugh. But a time will come, and that time is perhaps very close at hand, when you will wish you had heeded the words of Jarrell. Now you think me a fool. But remember what I have said, gentlemen. When Krypton is shattered into a thousand million stars, when the glorious civilization we have built is no more, when you and your families are swept from the face of Krypton like dust! <laughs> Order, gentlemen! Order! You have heard Jarrell speak. Is it your wish we devote time and money to building spaceships for transportation of Krypton's population to another planet? No! I'm sorry, Jerome. The council has spoken. Yes, and you've signed the death warrants of every living thing on Krypton. Well, I've done the best to convince you. Now all that remains for me is to proceed with my own means of salvation, my own spaceship, to save the lives of those near and dear to me. As for the rest of you, may the gods have mercy on your souls. Later in Jarrell's lab. Oh, Lara, I didn't see you there. I came out to take air on the terrace. It's been terribly hot all day. Is that because we're being drawn closer to the sun, Jarrell? Yes. What did the council have to say about that? Well, I, I didn't mention it. Is the model of your spaceship about finished? Yes, yes. I drove the last rivet. How does it look? Splendid, but will it work? Ah, that remains to be seen. If it does work, I shall immediately begin construction on another just like it, only much larger. One big enough to carry all three of us to another world. All three of us. Jarrell, when will that be? Every moment we spend waiting and wondering. Yes, I know, I know, Lara. It's been hard on all of us, and particularly hard on you. How's the boy? He's sleeping, Jarrell. That quake this afternoon really frightened him, but he's all right now. Can you come in and look at him? You scarcely see him these days with all that working, all the hours on that spaceship model. It can't be helped, dear. I'm racing against time. Right now, I'm anxious to know whether the model will behave as I hope. How does it operate? Well, very simply. When all is ready, I throw this switch. That closes the circuit and electric energy builds up pressure in the atomic generators. Then, at the final moment, the pressure forces the ship from its carrier and speeds it on its way. But where will it go? Wherever it is pointed. This one I'm directing to the planet Earth. Earth? 
What is that, Jarrell? A planet smaller than our own, situated on the other side of the sun. It's inhabited by a race of people similar to ourselves. Like ourselves? Oh, well, only partly, of course, my dear. They're about the same size, but nowhere nearly as developed as us. Very weak and helpless. And with all their faculties, extremely limited. How do you mean? Something like this. You know how far you step when you want to go somewhere? Practically as far as I want. Why, one step takes me to the Brudder's house near the fountain. Exactly. But down where I'm sending the spaceship, it's quite different. An Earthman steps three feet at a time at most. Silly, right? <laughs> and everything else is in proportion to that. And that's where we're going to go? Oh, how dreadful. My dear, which would you rather do? Go to Earth and live? Or stay on Krypton and die? I'll do anything you say, Jarrell. Anything. It doesn't matter to me whether we live or die, as long as we live together. It's only the boy that I'm worried about. Yes, I know. Oh, Lara, darling, don't worry. You'll be saved. When are you going to test the spaceship model? In the morning, just as dawn breaks, I'll set it on its way, watching its flight through a high-powered telescope to see whether it lands safely on the Earth. Is Earth the only place we can go, Jarrell? We couldn't breathe on any other planet but Earth. It happens to have an atmosphere similar to Krypton's. I suppose you know best, Jarrell. Are you coming in? It seems to have gotten oppressively hot. Yes, it has. I wonder. Lara, did you hear that? Yes, Jarrell. What was it? Subterranean explosions. Do you feel the ground trembling? Yes, I do, Jarrell. Do you think... Lara, Lara, I'm afraid it's come. Where's the boy, Kalel? What do you mean? Get him quickly. This is the end. Jarrell, what can we do? Nothing, nothing. I'm not ready. Oh, what a fool I have been to delay. It isn't your fault, Jarrell. You did all you could do. If only the smaller were large enough, we could take a chance. Jarrell, will it carry one of us to safety? Oh, I think so. But Lara, where are you going? Stay here with me. I'm getting Kalel. If one of us can be saved, Jarrell, it should be the boy. No, no, Lara, come back. If one must go, it should be you. Lara, I said come back. Come back. Here, here he is, Jarrell, still asleep. Goodbye, Kalel. Please, Lara. No, Jarrell, listen to me. We both can stay here. Kalel goes in the spaceship. If there's a chance for Jarrell, one little chance, I want it for myself. Maybe you're right, Lara. Jarrell, look, the sky is fiery red. The mountains look like they're on fire and they're falling in. Jarrell, what's happening? The end of Krypton, Lara, just as I foretold. This is the last great quake. No, listen, Here, quick, quick, give me the boy. Kalel, Kalel. What are you doing, Jarrell? Opening the door, putting him inside. Jarrell, the house is swinging. It's breaking apart. There, there. He's safe inside. Now for the switch. Stand back, Lara. Oh, Jarrell, will he reach Earth? I don't know. Why do I sound like Gaston? Only the gods know, Lara. But there is a chance. The only chance. Stand back now, Lara. I'm going to throw the switch. Jarrell, it's getting dark. I can't see what's happening. Fire, smoke. From the center of the planet! Not much time now! Hold me, Jarrell. Has the spaceship gone? No, no, not yet. Waiting for the pressure to build. We may have been too late. If it doesn't work... Soon! Wait! Lara, it's off! It's on its way! Oh, 
Here, here beside you, Lara. Listen, you can hear me. Our boy Kalel, our son, Lara, he's on his way. He's on his way to Earth. Kalel, Kalel. So the tiny rocket ship roars into the uncharted heavens as the mighty planet Krypton explodes into a million fragments of glowing, glittering stars to remain in the night sky forever. Jarrell and Lara, devoted parents of the tiny boy, perish in the giant quake that destroys Krypton. But what of the rocket? Does it reach Earth? Does it find its mark in all the far-flung distance of space? Remember, don't miss the next installment of Superman! Up in the sky, look! It's a giant bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics Magazine. sure he's going to be fine. <laughs> Do you promise? I promise. <laughs> yes. Okay, that was so much fun doing that. It really was. I feel like I may have done a little Nick Cage there. I may have overacted just a little. Just a little? I felt you like I was bringing it. Really? You were on the edge of both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that the traditional readings of radio were very overdramatic anyways. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think you were just... We felt, probably fell short. I, mean, <laughs> I don't you... know if you felt short. I felt like I maybe got into it a little much. Yes. But I think it goes back to all the retro movies I've been watching. You're and like feeling it. Well, Humphrey Bogart, Jimmy Stewart, all these guys, mm -hmm. they really were overactors. I've re I've understood that now that I'm watching them again. They were, so. yes. Okay, this was so much fun. I learned so much. I still go back to, like, knowing that Guiding Light used to be a radio show. That's so fascinating to me. I learned so much on this episode. And we hope you did, too. If you haven't already, you should like and subscribe to our podcast. I think it's follow now. I actually think they took out the subscribe part. Yeah, they did. Yeah, following. it's just follow. Yeah, yeah, it's like in the top right corner. And then um, like and subscribe. Make sure that you leave us a comment if you can. Like, that would be great. Podcasts really, like, really depend on, like, your good comments in the comment section. And you can even share them with friends. Okay, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Click that share button mm -hmm. because you know you want to hear more of the Hardy Party Five and a Half podcast. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Superman. What's it called? Huh? Kalel! Kalel! Oh, Lara. <laughs> Party party of five and a half. Over and out. We'll see you next time. <laughs>